Good morning, Maple Grove. All right, that's pretty good. Hey, I I want you to look at at least three people in the eyes and smile. Go ahead. Just look at some people and smile. Come on. Smile. Come on. Come on. I I, I, I mean, doesn't that make you feel better? You know, I I use uh, Splenda in my coffee and it has little sayings on it, and, and it said today, you know, put a smile wherever you go, right? And, and I think smiling is, is something good, and it helps me too, because sometimes I look out there, and I don't know exactly what I'm looking at, right? Uh, and, and I don't, I'm not saying it's you, but I don't know, right? It, it could be you. Hey, I, I want to start off with the passage from Luke chapter 18, beginning at, at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray. Someone say always. Always. And never give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither cared, neither feared God nor cared about man. All right, that sounds like a fun guy to be around. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, so this guy was very self-aware, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Father God, we humbly come into your presence, the presence of the all-powerful, all-knowing, always-existing King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who breathes out stars, who holds oceans in his hands, the one who is and was and is to come. We humbly come before you, God, and I just pray this morning we lean into your word, God. I, I pray we come to realize that we can bring our cries to you and that you hear us when we're hurting, that you care about our tears and our sorrows and you long to move in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Today's conversation is called, What Happens When, quotation marks, when the church prays. And the way I, I want to attack this conversation is pretty simple. Uh, I, I want to answer the question, you know, hey, what prayer is, what prayer can do, and then when the church prays. What prayer is. Prayer is going beyond the veil. And what I mean by that is prayer is entering the presence of God. Now, understand the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's people worshiped him first in the tabernacle, then later in the temple in Jerusalem. And if you look at the way the temple was designed, it looked like it was almost trying to keep people from God's presence right? Uh, First you had what was called the court of the Gentiles, and and then you had the court of women, and then you had the court of the men of Israel, and and, and then you had the the court of priests, 
right? Only priests could go there. And, and then after that, you had uh, the building, and you, you had what was called the holy place, and only, the high, only a priest could go in there for the times of prayer. And, and the times of prayer were 9, 12, and 3. Do you know when Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m.? And do you know at what time the earth grew dark for three hours, just like the darkness for three days of the plague? At 12. And when did Jesus breathe his last? At 3. So a priest was there the entire time. So you had, again, court of Gentiles, court of women, court of men, court of priests. And then you had what was called the the most holy place, or holy of holies, and, and there was the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God, and only the high priest could go in there one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And, and there was this huge thick curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And check out what Matthew writes about the crucifixion of Christ. He says this in Matthew 27. 50 and 51. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, 3 p.m., the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Question, why do you think that happened? What do you think it meant? And who do you think tore it? And check out what we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 about that curtain. So brothers and sisters, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear. Because of the blood of Jesus' death, we can enter through a new and living way that Jesus opened for us. It leads through the curtain, which is Christ's body. I understand the torn curtain represents the body of Christ. And because Jesus' body was torn in two, we are now completely free to enter the most holy place through a new and living way, and we can enter God's presence without what? Without fear. Amen? Like, I think that's pretty good news, right? <laughs> uh, what is prayer? Prayer is coming into the presence of God. Uh, prayer is... Taking our concerns to the one who cares for us. It's communicating with the maker of heaven and earth. And prayer is bringing our hurts to the father of compassion and to the God of all comforts. Prayer is reaching out to our redeemer. It's crying out to the rock that is higher than we are. It's touching the one who loves us with an unquenchable love. It's bringing our questions to the one who has all the answers. Prayer is reaching out to the never tired, never confused, never afraid, and never taken by surprise God. Prayer is the trigger that launches the power of God. Prayer is coming near to God. Moses wrote, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way our Lord is near us whenever we pray to him. Our Lord is near us whenever we pray to him. Our Lord is near us whenever we pray to him. Next question, what can prayer do? A lot. Anything. 
And listen, the reason prayer is powerful and effective is because God is powerful and effective. Check out what these scriptures say about God. When 90-year-old Sarah doubted that she would finally have a son, God said to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis 18, verse 14. And when Moses doubted that God could provide a meat for a million plus people in the middle of the desert, God said to him, is there any limit to my power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. Numbers eleven twenty three. And when God told Elijah that he would fill a valley full of water without wind or rain, he said, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17, as the siege ramps of the Babylonian army were resting against the walls, Jeremiah prays, Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And an angel from heaven said to a teenage girl who's about to give birth to God in the flesh, nothing is impossible with God. Luke 1, 37. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. Question, how powerful is our God? He is all powerful. You know, this week's, Something popped up in, when I'm looking at news on the internet that the Webb Telescope just located a new galaxy. It's called Leda 2046648, right? It's a billion light years away. That means if you could travel at 186,000 miles per second, it would take you over a billion years to get there. And God one day just said, let there be, and there was. Amen? Is anything too hard for him? Is there any limit to, to God's power? Is there anything that our God cannot do? Listen, our God can do anything, and anything means anything. Amen? Can, can God restore what is broken? Anything. Can he bring healing to the hurting? Anything. Can he give you the strength to overcome that sin or that difficult circumstance? Anything. Can God turn things around? Anything. Can God mend that broken relationship? Anything. He can do anything. But here's the deal. In his wisdom, and God's smarter than us, right? He's the chosen, he, he chose to accomplish his will on this planet through the prayers of his people. And, and what I'm saying is that God is not, has decided he's not going to just arbitrarily move in and out of situations here on earth, even though he's able to do that. And instead, he's chosen to limit what he does on earth at times so that you and I can join him in the unfolding of his plan. Bottom line, God often waits for his people to pray. And then he pours out his power in response to those prayers. For example, Moses prayed and God turned back his wrath. Jonah prayed and the great fish spit him out. 
Joshua prayed, and the Jordan parted, and the walls of Jericho came down. Solomon prayed, and he was given wisdom. David prayed, and he defeated his enemies. Esther prayed, and her entire nation was saved from genocide. Hannah prayed, and she was blessed with a child. Samson prayed, and the Philistine temple came tumbling down. Hezekiah prayed, and God gave him 15 more years of life and defeated his enemies. Elijah prayed, and the false prophets were defeated. Yogyakarsiah prayed, a teenage king, and revival swept across the land. Nehemiah prayed, and, and walls that had laid in ruins for 150 years were rebuilt in just 52 days. Believers prayed, and the building shook, and the church was born. Question, would God have responded if those prayers were not prayed? Maybe. We have no guarantee. But listen, here's what we do know. From those examples, and there are many others, that the power of God was triggered by the prayers of his people. And here's the deal. Here's the, here's the BL. It's bottom line, but cool pastors just say BL, right? And my, my skinny jeans are in order right now. <laughs> but I think you're going to get skinny before you can wear skinny jeans, right? And they're coming, right? But I'm just kidding. Um, hey, some people are laughing too hard. Okay, here's the deal. Here's what I'm trying to say. There are things that God wants to happen that will not happen unless, someone say unless, unless someone prays. And there are things that God does not want to happen that will not happen. I mean, that will, there are things that God does not want to happen that will happen and will continue to happen Unless someone prays. James said it this way. You do not have because you do not ask God. Kind of crazy, right? God said, you should ask me. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, he said, ask and it will be given to you. And, and, and that word ask is in the, is in the present tense. So really, it, it's saying Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. He says, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and then you'll find. Keep knocking, and, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps asking, receives. Everyone who keeps seeking, finds. And to him who keeps knocking, the door will be open. Bottom line, before it is given, before we find, before the door is open, we must ask, seek, and knock. Get it? Good. Uh, check out this incredible quote from a guy named Walter Wink. He says this, History belongs to the intercessors, those who believe and pray the future into being. Brothers and sisters, you have no idea how many people have been strengthened because you asked God to encourage them. You have no idea how many people have been healed because you prayed for their bodies. You don't know how many prodigals have come home, how many marriages have been restored, how many addictions have been overcome, how many sicknesses have been healed, how many desperate hearts have found hope. How many tragic situations have been turned around because you went to your knees in prayer? 
Truth is, none of us will know this side of heaven the true effects of our prayers. But I guarantee that when we get there, we will be blown away. Uh, Because as Bill Hybels writes in his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, he said this, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. His supernatural strength is available to praying people who are convinced to the core of their beings that he can make a difference. Anybody tired? Maybe it's because you're in the we work part instead of the God works part. And the supernatural power is available to you, but they're not going to, you haven't been asking him. What is prayer going beyond the veil, entering God's presence? What can it do? Anything God can do? Next, what happens when the church prays? And, 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 and the reason I, you know, I, I want to put the word when in quotes is because the church doesn't always pray. I understand prayerlessness has been around for thousands of years. In fact, prayerlessness is, is why Jesus told that parable we read at the beginning of the, uh, of the persistent widow. Do you remember the question that, that Jesus asked at the conclusion of that parable? He said, when the, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And remember, and understand the Bible, context is what? Context is king. And, and what's the context? He's been talking about how we're always to pray and we're never to give up praying. That's what Jesus is asking. He says, hey, when I come back, will I find people praying to God like that persistent widow, believing that prayer really makes a difference? Will I find faith? Will I find people praying? Or will I find prayerlessness? Prayerlessness is why James wrote to believers, as I already said, we have not because we ask not. Check out this quote from a guy named E.M. Bounds. We have every reason to fear that we are doing more of other things than prayer. This is not a praying age. It's an age of great activity, of great movement, but one in which the tendency is very strong to stress the seen and the material and to neglect and discount the unseen and the spiritual. Prayer is the greatest of all forces because it honors God and brings him into active aid. There can be no substitute, no rival for prayer. It stands alone as the great spiritual force. And this force must be eminent and acting if any great movement is to be advanced. This force must be eminent and acting if any great movement is to be advanced. Few Christians have anything but a vague idea of the power of prayer. Fewer still have any experience of that power. The church seems almost wholly unaware of the power God puts in her hands. It's astounding how little we use it and how little we reap its benefits. Prayer is the most formidable weapon, but the one in which, but the one in which we are least skilled and the most adverse to using, end quote. Do you know when he wrote those words? 170 years ago. question. What has been your experience with prayer personally? What has been your church experience 
with prayer. Now, my experience personally has been sometimes I do real, real good, and sometimes I don't do so real, real good. Like, I can get going, but then it kind of fizzles out. And that kind of mirrors my church experience. At church, there's been times when the people where I've been, the body I've been a part of, where we really prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And next thing you know, we're not praying as much, we're not praying as much, we're not praying as much. I used to do this before service praying. I remember the first Sunday I did it, you know, we packed out that room in there, maybe 24 people, slowly, less and less and less. Then it got down to me and one faithful lady and her four-year-old son, Joseph, and she moved to Tallahassee, and it was just me, and I wasn't like that persistent widow. I quit, and I stopped. But that's why we're talking about this, because it's time to turn that around. So I think we all agree, right? Hey, we don't pray enough individually, and the church doesn't pray enough. Which begs the question, why don't we? I mean, why don't I pray enough? Why don't you pray enough? Why don't we pray enough? I I think there's basically three reasons. Number one, our enemy Satan doesn't want us to pray. Why? Because prayer brings us in the presence of God. And what can prayer do? Anything. It's It's our great weapon. So he's constantly whispering in the, the, God's people's ears telling them, don't pray. Don't ask God for help. Don't depend on God. You'll get along just fine on your own. And besides, other people have much bigger problems than you do. Uh, number two, we, I think we don't pray because we misunderstand the purpose of prayer. You see, purpose of prayer is not to get what we want or to make our life better. The primary purposes of prayer are to Number one, expand his kingdom. Number two, deepen our relationship with God. And I contend that if his kingdom is expanding and our relationship is deepened, I think our life will be much better. Amen? Two people agreed. Number three, I think we pray because we're not sure what to pray or how to pray. And Jesus gave us a model prayer, right? And we've been talking about that. Hope that's beginning to help us see how we can turn things around. The prayer is awesome, prayer is powerful, triggers God's power, and we don't pray enough. But what if we did? What if we did? I mean, what would happen? What would his church look like at 3210 Prophet Road if the Jesus followers in this room really prayed like that persistent widow, always praying and never giving up. Listen, I'm convinced in the core of my being that if we, the Jesus followers in this room, pray consistently, prayed always, never giving up, with understanding the Lord's Prayer, that we will look a lot like the church the Holy Spirit inspired a guy named Luke to write about 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. And believe me when I tell you, the book of Acts was a praying church. In fact, according to Acts chapter 1, the church was literally born in a prayer meeting. And what I want to do, I want to to talk about six things that will happen when the church prays, when we pray. All six are found in the book of Acts. 
Number one, when the church prays, we become united. Okay, is unity important to a church? Well, well, I know a guy named Jesus who prayed in the garden. In John 17, we read it. He says, he says my prayer is not just for my disciples, but for everyone that will believe on me through their message. I pray that they may be brought to complete unity. But let the world know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And listen, the church in the book of Acts, without doubt, was a united church. In fact, 10 times in this book, Luke uses a Greek word that describes the early church that meant that they were on the same page, that they had the same agenda, that they had the same mind. They were together, living for the same thing, striving for the same mission. And what I want to do, I want to look at the very first prayer, recorded prayer of the early church. And I want to set the background for that prayer. It's in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had just been released from jail. And the reason they were in jail, because they healed a 40-year-old guy who was crippled from birth. And they healed him, and and that really upset the Jewish leaders that they healed the guy. And that they healed the guy in the name of Jesus. I mean, they thought that they got rid of this Jesus guy once and for all on the cross. And here he is, a few months down the road, here he is again. And, and so they had them arrested, and, and they bring them before the Sanhedrin, Peter and John. And they said, by what power name did you heal this man? And Peter thinks, hey, this is a great time for my favorite three-point sermon. Point number one, you killed Jesus. Point number two, God raised Jesus from the dead. Point number three, because he's the Messiah, he's the only one that can save you. Peter said, salvation is found in no one else. He's talking to Jewish leaders, Sanhedrin. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Well, they're even more angry. They say, hey, we don't want you to talk about this anymore. Peter says, hey, nice suggestion, but I'm not going to do it. And, and, and the courage of Peter and John just frightened the leaders, and because the guy healed was standing right with them, all they could do was say, threaten them, and then they let them go. And shortly after that, we see a powerful snapshot of prayer uniting the church. Again, the first recorded prayer, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Question, on the release, where did Peter and John go? They went to their own people. They went to their church. Question, is that your first response when going through hard times? To go to your own people to go to other Jesus followers. Brothers and sisters, this needs to be our conditioned response, right? We know what a conditioned response is, right? They play the national anthem, you stand up. The light turns yellow, you hit the gas real fast, right? <laughs> That's my conditioned response, right? But we need a conditioned response. Hey, I'm overwhelmed, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's too much for me. I know I need to go to God's people. I need to go to church. 
And sometimes people are hard time, oh, I'm too depressed to go to church. Are you kidding me? Listen, the, when you don't want to go to church is usually when you really need to go to church. And you find out, I'm so glad that I went to church. And what did the church do? They, they prayed. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you make the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. They start off with some adoration, right? God, we know who you are. We know who we're talking to. We know how powerful you are. Prayer continues. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote Psalm 2, a messianic psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? In other words, why do people think they can mess with God? Right? Care who you are, what throne you sit on, what title you have, right? God's going to win. Here's a, well, why do people think they can mess with you, God? They continue. The kings of earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. What? I love that. Lord, we know that no matter what it looks like, and no matter what we're facing, and no matter how high the mountain, no matter how deep the water, no matter how chaotic and difficult circumstances are, we know that you are always in control. They did. Not what their power did. They did what your power and will decided beforehand. God, you're in control. Nothing is ever out of your control. You're great, you're good, therefore we will trust you. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Lord, you know what's going on. You know the difficulty we're facing. And now we come to the part of the prayer where they're going to ask God to do something. Now, what do you think they're going to ask for? Now, I think we know that if we as first world American Christians were in that situation... And if there are people who were threatening our very lives because we follow Jesus and because we stand on his word, I think we as first world American Christians would, would say, Lord, keep us safe. Lord, protect us. Lord, don't let them hurt us. Don't let anything bad happen to us. What do they pray? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Incredible. I mean, boldness is what got Peter and John locked up. And boldness is what will do the very same thing to them, but yet they prayed for it. And then they prayed, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, God, unleash your power in our lives so that people will know how great and powerful you are, so they'll know how kind and compassionate you are, how they'll know that your word is true, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that through him they could be saved. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They all felt the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I would think that was applause of heaven. I think heaven's going, yes, you guys so get it. 
And check this out. After that God-honoring, building-shaking prayer, Luke gives us a snapshot of how that prayer and what unity in the church looks like. Very, very next verse. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. Camp on, camp out on that one for a second. No one claimed that any of their possessions. Who's got possessions? Do <laughs> you have a house? Car? Investments? Bank account? Whatever. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them so there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses, trucks and boats and cars and whatever, brought the money from the sales. Said, man, oh, so-and-so is going through a hard time. They lost their job. They can't pay their bills. That single mom's all on her own. That widow needs help. Well, you know what? I, I have a beach house, <laughs> and I really like it, but you know what? I'm going to sell that so that person, as part of my family, has a place to live and has food to eat. Wow. The early church prayed, and they were united. They're like, man, like, you know, most of us would not let our children or family members starve, right? They're like, the church is my family. You know, how, how could I let my brothers or sisters be hurting, struggling, and, 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 and do nothing, right? Because it's, it's powerful, the unity. Listen, the unity was not because they all looked alike, thought alike. They enjoyed the same kind of music. Rooted for the same sport teams, or all agreed that Tom Brady was the GOAT in the NFL. It was because they were part of the same family, because they were sold out to the same God, to the same mission, because they were standing on the same word of God to guide their lives. Here's the deal. The more we pray together, the more united we will become. Amen? Does anyone want to see us more united? Well, there's a path to that. The next thing is I'll hit real quick. When the church prays, we unleash the power of God. The church prayed for God to stretch out his hand in power, and that's what he did. In the book of Acts, we see God's power being unleashed in some mind-blowing ways. I mean, we see people being healed, the lame walking, demons being cast out, the dead being raised, an angel breaking Peter and John out of jail, the shadow of Peter, and the handkerchief of Paul healing people. I'll take the shadow, all right? Give me the shadow. I don't want that handkerchief, right? We see prison bars being shaken, chains falling off. As Paul and Silas sang in prison. We see these and so many other powerful things that cannot be explained apart from the power and movement of God. And listen, I for one do not believe that God checked in his power at the close of the first century. Yes, I still believe that God wants to unleash his power and do things among us individually and collectively that cannot be explained apart from the power and movement of God. I still believe that God wants to unleash his power and do things among us and in us that cannot be explained apart from the power and movement of God. 
Amen? We become more united, unleash God's power, and we receive divine guidance. Understand, the early church prayed about, hey, who needs to replace Judas? How do we take care of the needs of the Grecian widows in Acts chapter 6? How do we respond to persecution? Where do we send Paul for the first missionary trip? How do we integrate Gentiles into a church full of Jewish believers who have 1,500 years of tradition? How do we do that? Guess what they did? They prayed about these things and other things, and God actually gave them guidance. Throughout Scripture, we see God's people asking for guidance and God giving that guidance. I like Isaiah 48, verse 17. Isaiah 48, verse 17. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go, who teaches you what is best for you and directs you in the way you should go. See, too many times we... We plan and strategize before we pray, or we plan and strategize and never pray. Yet God is the one who knows what's best for you and for our church. God is the one who knows the path that we should go. Amen? Next, when church prays, the word comes alive. Remember they prayed, enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. And listen, as you read the book of Acts, it's obvious that the Word of God was alive and exploding on every page and in every city. And, and, and Luke kind of traces that ignition throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verse 17, the Word of God spread. Acts 8, verse 4, those who have been scattered because of the persecution preached the Word wherever they went. Acts 12, verse 24, the Word of God continued to increase and spread. Acts 13, verse 24, the Word of God spread through the whole region. Acts 19, 20, the Word of God spread quickly and grew in power. And the very last verse of the book of Acts, Paul's a prison in Rome, and we read, boldly without hindrance, he preached the Word of God and taught the kingdom of God. When a church prays, we become united. God's power is released. We receive divine guidance. The word of God comes alive and people get saved. See, our primary mission is, right, redirecting the forevers of lost people. We see it in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are saved. But Acts chapter 4, the number's up to 5,000. After that, Luke just stops counting just to say, you know what? The church is really, really growing. Understood, the early church, salvation of lost people was their primary passion. And that passion drove them to take the gospel throughout the world. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Workers are what? Few. There's a prayer we've talked about here before, and it's, this is a prayer. It's a fizzle prayer for me. I don't know if it's a, I know it's a fizzle prayer for us as a church. The reason I know because I don't see a lot of ones up here getting baptized, right? And, and the prayer is simply, Lord, give me one person to share your love with today. We talked about that seven years ago. You know, just every day we wake up, right? We say, Lord, give me one person today that I can share your love with. Do you think God wants to answer that prayer? And, and see, if, if, it, it fizzles on me. Shame. It fizzled on us, right? 
We used to have it in our foyer, right? Yeah. We make this cool, awesome thing, pray for one. Ooh, it looks so good. We took it down. Probably one of the reasons we took it down because, like, it's kind of embarrassing to have something that we're not doing. But I want to encourage you, you know, to pray for one. And you never know where they're going to be. It could be where you work. It could be your neighborhood. It could be at the restaurant. It could be at the grocery store. But if we pray that, you know, each day's different, right? Who's it going to be? Is that my one? And so I want to encourage you to pray that prayer and see what happens. Amen? And when the church prays, the church prays more. You know, there's some things that you do, you just want more. Like, say next Sunday. Next Sunday, either the Eagles or the Chiefs will be lifted in the Lombardi in Super Bowl 57. Question. If the Eagles get their second Super Bowl, or if the Chiefs get their third Super Bowl, do you think that will be enough, or do you think they'll want more? I got to quote a great quarterback here. Tom Brady was often asked about his Super Bowl rings, right? And they would say, he's got seven, by the way. And they say, they ask him, hey, what's your, what's your favorite ring? You know what he always said? The next one. The next one, right? And, and, and if we pray, we're going, wow, you know, we're really united. It really feels like a family more than it ever has before. Wow, did you see God's power move? Wow, God really showed us what to do. Wow, did you see those, those people getting saved? Do you see God's word come alive? We're going to say, I'm going to pray more. You know what? I, I prayed and someone got healed. I, I prayed and some, a marriage was restored. I, I prayed and someone found peace and hope. The more you pray, you'll pray more. Amen? Amen. I'm going to have these in the foyer for you. And I'm going I'm to text you a video this week how to use this guide. Because I talk too long, right? I know, I love you. No, I know, I do clearing your throat. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, but I'm going to have these in a foyer. And, and what I did here, I married the Lord's Prayer and the Acts of Prayer together, right? And, and I'll, I'll make a video tell you how to use this. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But um, we, we, we did this in our prayer time. And again, encourage you, we prayed today, first and third Sunday. We're going to be praying for God to move in our church. And this is how to pray. It's got, it's got a really cool thing on this side here, what to pray for other people, right? And, and, and sometimes we pray for surface things. And you know, what I did, I took all, you know, I could have missed some, but I did the best I could to look at what Paul prayed for people and then put it here. Like, what should you pray for other people? Get a people in your mind, right? Uh, pray that they would know, that they would know God better, that they would know hope and they would know their hope and spiritual riches, that they would know God's power, that they would know God's love, that they would know right from wrong. Pray that they would have, pray that they would have great endurance and patience. Pray that they would have joy and peace. Pray that they would have inner strength. Pray that they would live a life that pleases God and is fruitful. Uh, pray that they would live abounding more and more in love. Pray that they would actively be sharing their faith, right? So I'm going to have these in the foyer. You know, please pick these up because, uh, it's really awesome. Okay. 
I, 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 I want to close with a, with a, with a story. Like, the, like a dad and a, his son were working in their yard doing some landscaping, right? And, and, and there was a big rock in the way where they're going to put this garden. And, and the dad says, you know, hey, his name's Joey. Hey, Joey, I need you to move that rock. And he tries and he goes, I can't do it. He goes, Joey, I, I need you to move that rock. Dad, I can't do it. And he's trying and trying and getting really frustrated with his dad. And his dad goes, Joey, you're not using all your strength. Pick up that rock. I can't do it. I can't do it. Finally, his dad puts his arm around him and says, Joey, you're not using all your strength because you didn't ask me to help. Are you using all your strength? Or are you trying to do it on your own? Are we as a church using our own strength? Or are we asking God for help? Some of you here today, and I'm just telling you, man, you've been trying to do things in your own strength. As a great theologian, Dr. Phil, would say, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? Doing it all by yourself? Not asking God for help? Not asking other believers to help you? How's that working out for you, right? I'm going to close with these two passages. I think I have them. I have them here. I can read them. It'll pop up. And, and you know what? My slide guy... Josh, you the man. And, and Nate's sitting there going, he's glad it's not him. But I'm like, hey, I know I got like 17 more pages, but we're not going to do those right now. He's like, where is this do that, right? I appreciate my sound, sound people, right? The unsung hero out there. Josh, it's on me. It's not on you, all right? It's, it's, it's my, that's mine. That's my bad, right? Uh, but let, let me read this right here. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Uh, you know this, but maybe to hear it again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then we have this passage here. He found it. <laughs> My guy. From Zechariah 4.6, and, and, and uh, that's what I'm calling, Z4.6 is what we're calling this prayer time. It's something I said last week that I had done in Georgia, couldn't find a better name. And, and um, Zerubbabel came back to rebuild God's temple, and, and uh, like Solomon had like resources, and Solomon's dad, David, like got all, you know, he owned like several Home Depots and had all the material shipped in, right? You know, had all the skilled laborers already ready to go. Zerubbabel, like, he had nothing. He's overwhelmed by the project. I have to rebuild God's house after it was destroyed by the Babylonians. How am I going to do this? Very frustrated. And, and the prophet Zechariah comes in and says, you will not succeed by your own strength or power. But by my spirit, says the Lord, all-powerful. And, and the, here's the next verse, right? Um, what are you, almighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become level ground. Yeah, there's this obstacle in front of you, Zerubbabel, but before you, because you're trusting in God's strength and power, that mountain will become level ground. Uh, we're going we're gonna to sing our, our closing song, and I, I'm going to do something, not, nothing crazy, so don't get wigged out. Um, um, but 
If you, before we sing, I'm going to ask those who maybe have been trying to do things on their own to stand up and say, God, you know what? I'm tired of doing this on my own. Whatever situation I'm in, I'm tired of doing my own. Would you help me? And I'm just going to ask, if that's you, would you, would you just stand up and say, God, God, I'm tired of doing things on my own, my own strength. I need your help. Awesome. Awesome. He wants to help you. He wants to help you. Amen. The rest can stand. I'm going to pray. Uh, Father God, we humbly come before you. God, you're there all the time. Like you're, you're waiting on the porch with two glasses of iced tea or coffee just waiting for us to show up and talk to you and let us express you what we're going through. And Father God, thank you for this incredible opportunity we have to pray. Thank you for Jesus who allowed his body to be torn so that we could come into his presence. And God, I pray for those who stood up who are tired and worn out. And God, I, I pray they'll realize that they have not been using their all, all their strength if they've not asked you to help them. And God, I pray for your church in Maple Grove. Forgive us for doing things on our own strength. God, here today we declare that we need your help for this church to be everything you want it to be, to be the light you want it to be, the place of healing and restoration that you want it to be. Please help us. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.